Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. All right, well, hybrid work may be here to stay, but whatever the prevailing work culture, you know you're always going to encounter jerks at work. Today, we meet a social psychologist, Tessa West, who's written an entire book leveraging years of research to map seven types of jerks that you are most likely to encounter. And she even includes game plans so you can stop them in their tracks. Tessa says we need to address the specific motivations of bad behavior in order to break free from those jerks at work. She's Associate Professor of Psychology at New York University and the author of the book that we're reading today. If you haven't already got a sense of the title, here it is again, Jerks at Work. Welcome to Read, Tessa. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Love the title. How did that come to you? Um, You know, I think we just went with something really simple. Everyone knows exactly what it means to deal with a jerk at work. I feel like that title is a trigger for half of the people that I speak with. They're like, oh, my God, I know exactly who you mean um, when we talk about these things. So I really just wanted something that would resonate with people. It really, really is a topic that's close to so many people's hearts. You know, is it really possible, though, to understand these jerks, people whose operating system seems so different from ours? We all know someone who is capable of walking on dead bodies to get ahead in life, right? And those who lie to build a version of reality that is so far from your own sense of truth, you start to doubt yourself. So can we really understand a jerk at work? I think absolutely. Actually, I'd probably take it a step further and say we're all potential jerks at work in the right circumstances. Some of us more than others, certainly walking on dead bodies. This is like the kiss up, kick down. And these people are, you know, cut from a different cloth than the most of us are. But I think to understand them, you know, we really have to get in their head to understand their motivation. And that's critical to beating them, which is what our end goal is, right? Absolutely. Understand their motivations. All right. So you start with misconceptions in this book that I think are very helpful. Why should we not assume that the jerk at work is not just a jealous person, a person who's afraid that I or anybody else might get ahead? You say these people are skilled social performers. Absolutely. I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is that most of the jerks at work have a talent or two that they bring to the office. And often the boss or the boss's boss really loves them. So to underestimate those talents, to underestimate how much people in power really value them, really like them, isn't going to get us very far in actually beating these individuals. So kind of knowing what they're good at and what they're bad at is really critical to developing a strategy that's long lasting and will help you from job to job. You know, a question that is on many people's minds once they encounter such an individual is why don't they put such talents to use? You know, I mean, they can outwit normal people. Why do they put their talents to manipulating and not to, to, you know, benign use if they are so skilled at understanding others? Well, I think that we don't like to admit it, but a lot of workplaces actually encourage this behavior. It's the only way to get ahead in a lot of workplaces. So if you work in a place where it's super cutthroat, only one or two people are going to make it to the top, everyone's competing with each other to get ahead, to get that raise or promotion, this type of behavior is is not only kind of encouraged, it's absolutely essential to get ahead. So I feel like we all need to take a closer look at the cultures we're building at work, the kind of habits we have around performance evaluation and getting ahead and take a step back and, and ask ourselves, are we creating environments 
that not just encourage this stuff, but actually make it the only way to succeed, um, especially when we're all getting overwhelmed in this hybrid world where people just have to pick and choose what they're going to you know, put all their energy towards. And if it's something that allows them to be a little bit of a jerk and get away with it, that's the direction they're going to go. Yeah, it's absolutely about work culture because you know such behavior can only thrive in certain work cultures, so to speak. All right, let's talk about the role of bosses. If a boss refuses to do anything because they are enmeshed in a relationship with a jerk, a clearly incompetent boss, for example, assigns a a role of responsibility to an equally clueless, incompetent person because what he wants is to be surrounded by a wall of yes men or yes women. And in that way, his incompetence is always veiled by the yes women around him. So does this book, what does this book say about, you know, what you can do to take power back in that situation? when the boss doesn't want to care. Yeah, so I think we often have to perspective take and think, what is the boss going to lose by getting rid of our jerk? And can we counter that with something bigger? So for example, if your boss has a kiss up, kick downer or a credit stealer that's helping them get ahead, you have to figure out how you can make the boss believe the problem is so big that if they don't deal with it, they're going to have a mass exodus on their hands. They're going to have disengagement at a level that they're not used to seeing. And so it's kind of just a matter of convincing them that the loss is too great for them to do nothing at all. I think all all the while getting in the boss's head, having a shared reality with them and actually bringing up the things about the jerk that they value so that you don't look jealous, you don't look petty, and you say, look, I know this person brings X and Y skills to the team, but if we don't do something about this, it's not just me who's going to leave. It's all of these other folks that I'm noticing are disengaging as well. It's really making them a little bit scared that that's going to happen quite difficult, don't you think? Because a lot of the Mm -hmm. time you're dealing with an extremely paranoid individual. Yeah, I think, you know, especially with gaslighters and these types of folks, they get very anxious that people are trying to take them down. And one thing that we often fail to do at work is we complain to the boss. So we complain, you know, the person in charge of us. And then we complain down. We complain to the people who work for us or our friends. We never go to like the boss's best friend or the boss's colleague who's been working for that person or with that person for 10 years and kind of knows what, what makes them tick, what convinces them and what doesn't. And so expanding our social network beyond just our little circle at work, but the people in power who work parallel to the boss, who understand them, they often make the best allies and kind of help you navigate these very sticky situations with bosses that are surrounded by jerks that they allow to flourish. That's what I really love about your book, how you write, we will never solve the problem of jerks at work until we leverage our friendships and our social relationships that go beyond our typical friendships at work. Now, um, is speaking up, key to outing any of the seven types of jerks at work that you lay out in your book? Speaking up is critical, but you have to do it right. And I think a lot of us have an instinct to speak up with how we feel about something at work. We tell our boss, I feel smothered. I I don't feel heard. I don't feel respected. And then we kind of follow that with why we think the person is doing what they're doing. You don't trust me or you don't value my input. Leave your feelings at the door, at least for now, and just talk about exactly what they did and what that outcome was. The smaller, the better. Don't wait till things fester and get out of control where you're making these really global statements like you don't trust me. Focus on very specific things like, for some reason I sent you an email and you didn't read it. You wrote me another one 20 minutes later. Can we kind of talk about our communication? Stick to the little things and make them very specific about your behavior. So speaking up is critical, but there's an art to it. And luckily there's a science to it. There's kind of an equation to doing it well. And if you practice it enough time, 
sometimes you'll get really good at it. And the person that you're speaking up around won't feel threatened, won't feel defensive, and you'll feel just much more empowered to have these kinds of conversations at work. So the key is be specific and somehow not trigger the defensiveness in the other person. The smaller, the better. And so defensiveness often happens when we make comments that are very global and a little bit nebulous and unclear. Things like, you don't respect my input. What does that even mean? That's not specific. What exactly did that person do to make you feel that way? Did they ignore you? Did they not respond to your question in a meeting? The smaller, the better. It's hard for people to argue when you just bring up very tiny behaviors that they did. It is easy for them to argue and to engage in reverse blame when it's big and fuzzy and unclear, and they can easily come up with examples to counter what you're saying. All right. How do you speak up in an organization where top-down management is the corporate culture, where the people in charge who can make change don't want to listen to people lower down on the scale? I think it's really hard in an organization where people lower down have no voice, but you can do some things behind the scenes, like becoming what's called an advice tie. So even in organizations like this that are very hierarchical, there are some people who the boss always goes to to figure out the insider gossip, to figure out what's going on. And these people are advice types. They don't necessarily have power, but they know what levers to pull to get people to listen to them, how to get things done. Maybe they're friends with the secretary, these kinds of folks. What you want to do is become an advice tie. You want your boss to come to you casually to ask you these kinds of things. And when you become an advice tie, you're much more likely to be heard when you go into a meeting. So when you say something, people listen to you. They give you the floor. They don't interrupt you. They attribute your ideas to you. But a lot of that work goes on outside of the meeting, you know, to formulate those relationships, to get that social status before you even show up. It is very hard to get voice and to be heard in the meeting if you haven't done all your homework ahead of time. So Tessa West is my guest today. and We're reading her terrific book. It's called Jerks at Work. And it's about toxic co-workers and how to deal with them. Tessa, you created seven profiles and a whole taxonomy of jerks, starting with the kick up and downers people, who, you know, like walk all over you and they reserve their good manners only for those who they think can get them ahead. I was struck, uh, you know, about this particular lesson that you share because I remember being in a lift um, with someone who, like an aardvark, just kept his snout decidedly into his phone and said, oh, I'm sorry, Michelle, I'm not saying anything to you. You couldn't even complete a sentence, you know. There were two of us in the lift, but he couldn't bother to have a conversation because I was not valuable in that situation. So, and then there are the gaslighters. Those, I think, are particularly damaging personality types. They build an alternate reality and they have the intent to deceive on a grand scale. I wonder if you can share a few strategies strategies about dealing with the gaslighter, the most dangerous type. So the gaslighter is the one type of jerk at work that I really don't recommend you try to take on head on. You don't want to confront this person. You don't want to say, I caught you. I know that you're lying to me because they tend to actually have built a power structure around them to protect them just in case this very thing happens, that you try to go to their boss or the boss's boss to, you know, tell on them, so to speak. Chances are you've also done a couple of things that are maybe a little bit slippery, a little bit sketchy that they kind of, you know, encourage you to do to keep this alternative reality going. So for these folks, what you have to do is build up your social network brick by brick. They will have torn it down. They will have isolated you. And so it's not that people dislike you at work. It's that they forgot about you. 
They don't even know you work there anymore. You're very much off the radar. So you need to start going to people who you used to have as coworkers and colleagues, not to gossip about your gaslighting boss, but to get feedback on what others think of you so that you can understand your reputation better at work. Reach out to other leaders who work along, you know, alongside your boss and say, I really would like some career feedback. I haven't really gotten much of a sense of what other leaders in this organization think of me. You have to build up this kind of wall around you, this network, and then these folks can help position you to escape this relationship with the gaslighter. But confronting never works. They just get smarter at their strategy when you do that. Very dangerous type. So what do you do if your gaslighter is your boss? There is no fixing a gaslighter boss, putting them in special gaslighter therapy and making them a better boss. <laughs> because they That's don't think they need happen. to change. No, they don't see anything wrong with themselves. Yeah. Well, they might, but they're they're doing this to either protect a big lie at work, you know, unethical behavior, or because they can't get anyone else to work with them. And so they tell you that you would get fired if it wasn't for them. They're highly motivated to gaslight, just like kiss up, kick downers are highly motivated to do that. Those who don't want to change, you can't really fix them or make them better, but you can exit those relationships. You can kind of back out slowly and build up your strategy instead of kind of burning the whole house down. So absolutely, I would not say keep working with that gaslighting boss. I think my next book is going to be on how to break up with people at work. And I think and this is going to be a, a really important case of how can you like do this without, you know, destroying your reputation at work and destroying, you know, the workplace. Oh, that was my next question. All right, I got to swap <laughs> questions in since you're writing a whole book about that. Can you... I haven't started. <laughs> well, thanks for the scoop, Tessa. Uh, can you help a co-worker who is being gaslit? Because, you know, these people run down other people's self-esteem. So I think the first thing that we often forget is the people who are gaslit, we don't pay attention to. They are so cut off. They don't go to, you know, happy hours. They don't hang out with their friends anymore. They're not showing up to any kind of leadership programs. So if you notice someone who's just disappeared, who's gone AWOL, that's the first red flag that maybe they're being gaslit. And I think as an ally, what you should do is go to them. Don't say, is your boss doing these horrible things to you? But offer to connect them to other people who can help them. Sometimes that's HR. Usually it's just other people in power who are colleagues of their boss or other leaders in the organization. So the idea here is to help form those connections for them. But really what you want to do is look for people who seem disengaged, who seem a little paranoid, who you used to have a close relationship with, who you used to see working in that open office. And now they're like hiding in some weird back room working on a computer that nobody's allowed to see. You know, that kind of like strange paranoid behavior is usually a red flag that someone's being gaslit. So that's the thing that you need to really watch out for. Any other strategies you can share for any of the other seven types? Sure. I think, you know... One of the main things we need to learn how to do is uh, diagnose these things early and often. And so what we often do at work is kind of ignore them because we're conflict diverse. And we don't build processes and structures that allow us to detect these folks because we feel like it's spying on each other and that kind of thing. So, for example, with free writing, where, which is super common at work, everyone does this. It's just you, you don't put in your effort. You can create a system where people write down the work that they're supposed to do and the work that they actually did at the end of a project, you don't have to, for example, as a boss, ask someone if, if someone free rides in the team, but you can diagnose this behavior by looking at the difference between 
what I agreed to do this week and what I actually did. And when you see that discrepancy, you can early diagnose things like free writing. And I think the same is true for credit stealing. You got to write down what people do, what they've agreed to do, and that can help diagnose these things really early. But it requires systems and structures that people have to follow early and often. And you can't slack off because it feels like everything's cool here. We're, you know, we have a really copacetic team. We have, we're all conscientious. That is like the first step towards allowing jerks to thrive because jerks will actually pick teams like that to do their dirty work. Um, So don't assume that if you all get along and things are great now, you don't have to worry about future jerks. In fact, that's the time when you should start to worry about them. Put these structures in place. So in in organizations where HR or the HR department really is a rubber stamping department, is this book going to give readers real strategies that they can use without having to go to HR? This is a... I mean, not to like, you know, say anything bad about HR, but this book is not actually for HR. This is for the low level stuff that doesn't rise to the level that HR usually cares about. It's hard to go to HR and say, my colleague was disrespectful to me in the elevator today. Can you do something about that? They're going to say, get out of my office. This is for the kind of everyday stuff that you need to learn how to troubleshoot. So you don't just learn it today in this job, but you can take these skills with you to the next job. And as a manager who probably never got any training, because no managers do, very few do, these are the kinds of things you want to teach to your team so that as they rise up, they can become better managers and they're not just kind of putting out fires. So I'd say this, you don't need HR for this book. You just need yourself and your willingness to kind of try these things and fail and try again and be patient and do them early and often. That's about it. All right. And your final words uh, to someone who is at the mercy of a jerk at work. And, you know, for some people, they can be reduced to, like you say, the person in the back room and they're losing hair and Mm -hmm. pretty despondent. So what do you say to them listening in? I'd say... The stress you experience at work is very much a real thing. It impacts your body and your mind more than the stress in your marriages and the stress at home because we spend more time with people at work. So take those feelings, that heart racing feeling you get when your boss walks in the room, that feeling of despondence when no one listens to you, take that stuff seriously. Um, And, you know, we can all deal with these things, but we have to start small and try them out a couple times. And if you fail the first few times, that's okay. There's no silver bullet to dealing with jerks at work. There is strategies you can use that go against intuition that you should try, like conflict management started early and often, these kinds of things. But it's okay if you're feeling uncomfortable trying these things. I certainly have. It's all about just taking that first step, you know, just like a diet or an exercise plan. It's all about consistency. Um, So I would say, you know, try just to do something small at first and and see how it goes. And you'll start to feel that stress reduce. Your hair will grow back. Your diet will improve. And hopefully your sleep will get better over time. (laughs) (laughs) Take small steps for a big change. This is an amazing book. I hope you pick it up. It's essential reading for all teams. Essential reading for you, listener, today. Tessa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So fun. Jerks at Work is the book we're reading today. I'm Michelle Martin. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.